Hey, thanks for praying for me. Uh, Sue and I made it almost three years without getting COVID, but we did right after Christmas, so it's nice to be back with you today. Um, before I read Scripture, I'd like to tell you about the Glory of God prayer gathering. I'm on the, the steering committee for this group, and we're about to enter our fifth year of having a, a regional South Shore emphasis where there are a whole bunch of churches once a month that get together and pray We've been reevaluating how we've been doing this. So the, the next one, if Rhonda can throw up that slide, I don't know if that's going to come. Um, here we are. On the 29th, so we've got uh, three weeks out. On the 29th, we're going to meet at Restoration Community Church in Kingston, which is the old Kingston Baptist Church. And uh, we'd love to have you come. It's going to be at 6.30. They're moving it a half an hour later. That's so that one of the churches that has been not been able to participate can but I'd really love to see a great showing of North River people this year that commit to praying regionally about what God is going to do in all of the churches in this area. And uh, I've been a part of this for four years now. Love to have you guys join us with that. So I'm giving you a heads up way in advance. Again, uh, I'd like to thank you for praying for me. I'd also uh, thank you for praying for Tom Harrison. I was online last week listening and uh, let me walk into prayer here for a little bit before we read Scripture. Father God, thank you for the way that you move through prayers. We've seen this nationally this week. We feel this individually. We recognize that there are all kinds of situations where we get to the end of what we can do and we call on you. The truth is, you are our strength day in and day out. And we recognize that you are Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you are also the Lord who's interested in our every day. You are our source of strength and our source of wisdom. And we are grateful for the ways that you work in our lives. We not only ask you to forgive our sins, we ask you to, to guide our thinking and our interactions with everybody that we represent you too throughout the week. And we also ask for the wisdom for the decisions that we all have to make in regard to work and school and, and how we govern our affairs and how we deal with our neighbors and so many things. Lord, we ask that you will influence every thought that we have, that we will not just be Christians when we are gathered here inside the safe walls of this church building, that, but rather that we would be Christians who are guided by the prayers that we lift to the Holy Spirit and to you, Father, every single day of the week. And we ask that as you are forming Jesus in our hearts and our minds, that others will see Jesus in us day in and day out. We continue to pray for Tom Harrison, that you'd give him strength and courage to face the battle that he's in the midst of. We, we ask that you would heal his body, and we ask that you'd work with his doctors. We also ask on behalf of everybody else who's dealing with a sickness or an illness or, or COVID, and we ask that you would be our strength in those times when we are not flat on our backs and when we have nowhere to turn but upward to you, thank you for being the rock that we can count on in every difficult circumstance. Lord, guide us today as we look into your word. Help us to understand the Bible better and better, week in and week out as we gather together, so that the truths of your word will guide us through life. Make us wiser in the way that we conduct ourselves. Make us wiser in the way that we reach out to you. Make us wiser in the way that we describe our faith to others. Allow us to be winsome and engaging, seasoned with truth, seasoned with your word, and in every situation. 
allowing you to speak through us. Thank you for this day and the time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know someone who has said, I've never read the Bible, and I don't even know where I would start? Ever run into one of those situations? I'll bet that most of us in this room have encountered that question from time to time. Suppose for a moment that you have a friend who has no knowledge and no experience with God. Uh, I'm speaking of the God that at least the majority of us listening to this talk, whether online or whether here in the room, claim to know. The God of creation. The God of the Bible. The God who made you. The God who loves you. The God who sent Jesus. And your friend wants to learn about God. And so again, where would you start? Where Where would you advise that person to start learning about God. Before you come back with your answer, your friend decides on their own to start at the beginning with Genesis. What's your reaction when you hear that? Are you concerned that they'll get lost in the details and the history of Genesis in the Old Testament? Do you react with a, really? You're going to start with Genesis? I would have sent you, you know, to some other book. Do you affirm that decision with your words, yet give away with a grimace on your face that maybe you're scared they're going to get lost? Well, I'd like to suggest some reasons for why Genesis actually might be a great place to start with someone who is new to the Bible. I would suggest that the first two chapters of Genesis provide a foundation with a number of bedrock principles that link us to the faith of the founders of of Christianity and that provide us with a framework for a healthy navigation of the world that we live in. This morning we're going to start a new series that I'm calling The Genius of Genesis. I didn't make up that name, I borrowed it from somebody else, but it really rang true for me. And this morning our topic is the big picture. How do we understand the big picture of Genesis and what God is is telling us? If there's a question that's ringing behind this particular message, I think it's this. What principles help us make sense of our world? Many times, that's exactly why somebody starts to read the Bible. They're trying to figure out, who is God? What is this world? What can I know for sure? And and where can I learn principles that will allow me to have a lens that helps me to understand everything that's going on around me? So this morning's message is called The Big Picture. We're going to look at some world-framing principles that arrive from just the opening verse of the Bible in Genesis 1-1 and one other verse in the New Testament that we'll connect that to. For the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to plow through a number of principles that are all in Genesis chapter 1. So you don't have to read very far in order to stay with me over the next eight weeks, but we're going to dive very, very deeply into the opening chapter of Genesis. So what is the big picture? First of all, we learn that Genesis is about beginnings. It says in verse 1, in the beginning. Wow. Notice how Genesis, the first book of the Bible, starts so simply with these words, in the beginning. The name Genesis simply means beginning or beginnings. Even if we did not have that title applied to the book, it lets us know that the very first intention of this book is to give us a framework about time. So Genesis gives us a reference point. There was a beginning. A beginning to what? Well, this means that the universe and all that we see around us had a beginning. The planet that we live on had a beginning. The sun that shines on us and that is key to warmth and light and photosynthesis that makes things grow green 
all had a beginning. Our solar system of planets that rotate around the sun had a beginning. They've not been there forever. The galaxy that our solar system is a part of had a beginning. The stars and the galaxies beyond also had a beginning point. Now, you might think this is the Bible making this assertion alone, but this aligns us with the best conclusions that we find from science. Discoveries that come from the Hubble telescope have allowed views which reveal the movement of stars and systems that are beyond and that are all expanding outward. This outward expansion that is visible for scientists also lets them know that there was a beginning point from which all emanates outward. This is significant because some, even many evolutionary scientists, for decades and decades insisted that what we see in the heavens has always been there and will always be there. Earliest 20th century thought stated that the universe just is. It didn't need a cause. It didn't need a beginning. Stephen Hawking even once stated, a point of creation would be a place where science broke down. One would have to appeal to religion in the hand of God, unquote. In other words, he's thought that if you could say that there was a point of beginning, then everything that he believed in, in terms of the foundation of the world, was wrong. But more recently, views of the heavens since the Hubble telescope and the the one that's come after that have shaken things up and have taken this further. Alexander Vilenkin was one, uh, one recent cosmologist who early on believed in the models that advocated for an eternal universe But he saw how the calculations that he could make mathematically showed that uh, the the evidence for a constant universe violated what was known as the Hubble constant. Vilenkin evaluated all of the models that were used to prove a constant universe and concluded that, quote, all of the evidence points to a beginning. And if there was a beginning, that beginning necessitated a cause. And that discovery from science changed the way that he looked at the whole equation about the earth and its beginning. So it's helpful for us to know that what the Bible has been telling us for 3,500 years in this regard is today supported by some of the best discoveries of science. That's point one. Genesis is about beginnings, and you can trust that. Here's the second discovery that we make. Genesis starts with a foundational declaration. Here's the declaration. In the beginning, God. Genesis is the first book of Moses, likely written either by Moses or under Moses' direction as the general editor. In his first encounter, where we discover the life of Moses in Exodus, Moses meets the God who reveals himself. At that burning bush, he wasn't expecting it, he wasn't looking for it. He goes over to see this bush that is on fire but not being consumed by the fire, And God speaks with a voice to him, telling him to kneel down and to take off his sandals because it's holy ground. And then God speaks. He calls Moses by name. He continues to direct him in the mission of rescuing the people who would become known as Israel from their slavery in Egypt. Now in Genesis, Moses starts with what he learns about this self-revealing God. And so he tells us, in the beginning, God... There are a lot of directions where this verse could have turned. The focus could have been on how the concept of time came into being, but that's not the main focus. It's a sub-point. The focus could have been on matter. Where did all these things come from? Or on how the first cells with protons and neutrons and electrons were put together. Or how 
just a tiny proton particle became encoded with so much information that they say that it's like having the Library of Congress encoded inside just one of the simplest, smallest molecules that we have in a way that's indivisible. The body is so complex. How did that happen? That one factor defies the notion that we move from simple forms to complex forms alone when there's so much complexity inside the smallest molecule. But one verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God. God was there in the beginning. God was there before anything else came into being. God was the guiding force, the instigator, and the implementer of creation. Genesis lets us know with these four bold words that what has been unfolding ever since the creation is God's story. Oh yes, the universes are amazing and inspiring. Oh yes, the world around us is the primary context for this story. And yes, human beings like us are highly featured in this story. We matter. You matter to God. But our lives are playing out as short stories within the larger, grander story, which is God's story. And our world is the immediate locale where God's story develops for us. God is. In the beginning, God may be the four most important words ever written. And people like us play small roles in his story of the creation, fall, redemption, and renewal of all things that are part of the larger story that the rest of the Bible fills out and that we are living in the midst of. So Genesis is about beginnings. Genesis starts with a foundational declaration, in the beginning God. And Genesis leads to hope about the ending Again, those words play out, in the beginning, God. The presence of a beginning implies that there is also a middle and an end. You can't have a beginning that's just there by itself. If it's just the beginning and that's all there is, there wouldn't really be a beginning. That's all it would be. But the beginning implies that there's something that follows. You and I are in the middle somewhere. We look forward and we put our hopes in what will happen at the end. While the first three chapters of Genesis tell us about the beginning, most of the Bible tells us about the periods of time that have preceded us that are in the middle. Revelation and a few other biblical books give us glimpses of what will happen at the end. Genesis 3.15 offers the first glimpse of a redemptive end. This is where the Lord lets Adam and Eve know that a child will come from their line and will crush the head of the evil one. Adam, in hope, knowing that they've already broken their covenant with God and that they've sinned against him, names his wife Eve, which means the mother of all the living, believing that they will not instantly die, that they will have a line of children that will follow after them, and one of their descendants would come and would conquer the power of evil. They didn't know that it would be thousands of years later before Jesus came and fulfilled that prophecy, but this was the theme of the hope of a redeemer sent by God that runs through the Bible in glimpse after glimpse after glimpse. The Bible isn't our only source of this knowledge. It is our primary source of this knowledge. But the world around us also communicates that in the beginning, God. 
Robert Jastrow was the founding director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. The discovery of the Big Bang led him as an agnostic to believe that if the universe had a beginning, that there also had to be a creator. In an interview with Christianity Today magazine in 1982, Jastrow said, Astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on this earth. The article was called A Scientist Caught Between Two Faiths, an interview with Robert Jastrow. Jastrow became widely quoted for one word picture that he created. This is what he said, quote, For the scientist who has lived by faith in his reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries, unquote. <laughs> what is this? This is a man who believed that there was no God, that the, that the world was eternal, that everything that we see always has been there and always would be there. But then, through science, through the advantage of the Hubble telescope, realized that that the world out there was telling us a different picture, that there was movement that all emanates out from a starting point, and if there had to be a starting point, there must have been some force that created that start. And he went looking for what world philosophy, what, what viewpoint could fill that gap to say, here is the starting point. And he realized that what he was seeing in science measured up most closely with what he was reading in Genesis. And he became a Christian because of science. I love that story. Here's the big idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. Genesis gives us a framework for understanding life, time, God, and our place in a world that often denies his existence. That's the reality. So here's the fourth discovery from Genesis. This shows us that God is not easily left out. Let me jump from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the latter part of the New Testament to the little tiny letter of Jude, verse 3. I'm going to shorten this for impact. He writes, Dear friends, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Older versions would have said that was once for all entrusted to God's saints. Saints are not people who are unusually perfect or, or unusually religious. They are people who are made holy by Christ. That's the way the New Testament uses that concept. So you and I are, are saints if we have our faith in Christ. doesn't mean that you're perfect or that you're the completed project or that I am. We're not even close. But in God's eyes, we're made holy by the power of Christ when our faith is in Him. This past Monday night, the biggest story in the news was about Damar Hamlin. How many of you watched some, some, a clip or you were watching uh, the, the Monday Night Football Live? It's not that Damar Hamlin was the first football player ever to undergo a severe injury. At the center of the story was that his heart stopped from what it seemed like an ordinary hit in a football game. And it turns out that a handful of other athletes have encountered this similar, a similar injury in hockey, in lacrosse, and a handful of other sports. doesn't happen often, but it has a few times. The surprise factor on Monday night was the visibility 
and need for one thing, prayer. Prayer was the immediate response of DeMar's teammates and coaches and trainers. The on-air prayer from ESPN's Dan Orlovsky was something to behold. If you haven't seen this, Google it. It's all over the Internet. As one of the announcers on, on ESPN, he stopped and he said, I'm going to do something. I'm paraphrasing here. I didn't memorize his words, but he said, I'm going to do something here that some of you may be uncomfortable with. I just feel that I have to do this. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to call on God. And he prayed out loud on ESPN. I think that's the first time that's ever happened in the announcing booth on, on ESPN. And then there was a flood of prayers offered and written about on Twitter and Facebook and other places, exploding as people were praying for this one young man whose heart stopped for a few minutes right on the football field with a national audience. This is from an NFL whose policy has been to avoid showing prayer for years. It's not that NFL players are forbidden to pray. They actually do that in every game. Players from both teams gather at the end of every game at the 50-yard line to pray together, but the networks have been instructed not to show that to the national audience. Somehow the NFL is offended by all of that. Until, until this moment when the urgency of the situation overruled and players took over. Can you pop up the video that I sent you? Even Forrest Gump got on board this week and said, wow, and just like that, the NFL was okay with everybody praying on the field. But think about it. People, national platforms, and networks often try to rule out God. But God is not easily left out. Remember the comment that there will be prayer in schools as long as there are math tests on Fridays? A couple of nights ago, Channel 5's news report included a segment where the Patriots' tight end, Hunter Henry, commented about how the Patriots' team chaplain, Jewel Robinson, had reached out to all the Patriots' players and prayed with them and for them, and he was commending Jewel's leadership. Well, Jewel is a personal friend of mine and of Anne Devoisin's. We've worked with Jewel in projects in the city for years and partnered with him. It was so cool to see all of a sudden for the first time his name mentioned. He's been the, the Patriots chaplain for a couple of years, and nobody's ever mentioned his name, but all of a sudden, because the players are talking about how they are praying together and how he rallied them to pray this week, it all of a sudden becomes acceptable to talk about this. Here's something really cool that you can do as this week unfolds. On Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, when you go back to work or into your normal pattern, just bring up how moved you were by the prayers of the players and the coaches and the staffs in the NFL this week. See how others respond. I'll bet everybody else is talking about it at some point too. See where the conversation leads. Do people around us actually believe in the power of prayer more than before or more than we knew? What if it's actually true that there are more people who believe in God and quietly pray to Him than you and I ever would have known because People have felt put down and stuffed down in a way that they can't talk about these things until all of a sudden the need for it explodes and it becomes okay to talk about how we believe in a God who was there from the beginning and a God who was in control of not only the beginning but the middle and the future. 
and a God who can be called upon by each and every one of us for our daily needs and especially in those hours when we need God to break through and intervene for us. Genesis gives us a framework for understanding life, time, God, and our place in a world that often denies his existence. And in the midst of this crazy world of ours that needs God so badly, and yet often buckles before those who deny his existence, four words ring out. In the beginning, God. That's where we started. That's where we'll end today. Father God, I pray that you will invigorate our trust in you, our understanding of you, that you will continue to give us a sense of balance in the midst of this marvelous world that we live in, allowing us to know that you are involved in every aspect of it, that you have control of every aspect of it, that you are a God who oversees our well-being through all of time and through all of our days. And thank you for allowing us to call on your name, not believing that you are just some mythical element in the sky, but you are the God of the beginning. You are the God who has set all of this in motion and put all this in place, and it only makes sense that there is a complexity before there was nothing. There is a wisdom that is a part of your heart and your mind that was here before anything that existed, and you are the one who ties it all together for us. Allow us to grow in this hope, to grow in this knowledge, to be confident that the very God that we worship is the most powerful God who's put all of this in place. And the fact that you would care about my life or any of our lives warms us. It fills us with such a sense of appreciation. Thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen.